In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by Jen Moeller, who shares her experiences growing up in the church and gives us personal examples from her own story of the ways our negative experiences can leave us with unwanted cynicism. This week's conversation is based around the topics and themes in chapter 17 of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first time listener, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and on today's episode, I am joined by a very special guest, Jen Moeller. Jen, thank you for being here. How are you? I am good. I'm a little nervous, but I'm good. <laughs> good. I'm nervous, too, because I'm on a road trip, and I have my setup in the back of my car. So this is going to be a creative opportunity for both of us. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll get into who you are and all that, but I want to give some background. We know each other. Uh, you probably know more of me than I know of you. I know of you because I grew up, when I was growing up in the church, you guys, you and your husband and your family were always around. So I know your faces very well. And that's why you're on this episode because you are from the, the same church as me. And yes. you're here to share your story today, which I am very excited and interested to, to hear from you. So, Thank you. Yeah, it's hard to miss the punk rock couple right <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah if, if you yeah no that's all yes yeah i don't know what to say to that but yes very true i don't know how to explain about that you got we it out. yes out. <laughs> okay so i want to start off by asking the question that i ask every guest on the show to start why don't you give all of us a general overview of yourself and your background particularly in regards to church and faith all right. So I was five years old when my mom was reached out to at a Kmart in San a Diego. Kmart. Yes. And I was actually the reason, you know how like people have like these things that they, oh, hi. Right. Like I was yeah. like, the lady that came up was like, oh, your daughter's so cute. Look at her shoes. Like I have a specific, like a tiny little blip of a memory of that. Right. Yeah. And um, so my mom became a she became a member of the church and I was five years old. And so we grew up in it. My dad didn't come. My dad wasn't really into it. He's, he would come when we would have like these big congregational services in downtown San Diego. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I was in high school that he 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 also became a member, but n not for very long. It didn't it didn't stick. Right. Sure. Yeah. Air quotes there for those who can't see me. Yeah. So I grew up I grew up going to church. I grew up going to youth group, but um, quickly became the uninvited youth group member. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I was very rebellious in the moment, I didn't know why, but now I know I'm a, I'm actually a childhood survivor of, of sexual abuse and um, was taught at a very young age that you receive love by pleasing other people and seeking out sex, right? Yeah. And so my acting out in my teen years, I, you know, used drugs and was having sex and just living a crazy life. I was not happy yeah. about it. It definitely brought lots of pain into my life, but I wanted people to have fun with me. Again, my air quotes, sorry. Yeah. And so I would get, you know, other teens high. And so they, you know, 
they they kicked me out. <laughs> um, I wasn't allowed to come to anything. And they really experienced God with you in those yes. moments. <laughs> yes, yes, right. And I would I would be that teen at teen camp that you know would sneak off. I was probably the reason sure. for a lot of the rules that you guys suffered through. <laughs> oh um, you gosh, know, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I was. Um, I really. I gave them hell, honestly, because um, I was mad. I think too, yeah. I was acting out um, I, when I was younger in the church. I saw so much hypocrisy. Of course, I couldn't see it in myself, right? Because I'm this sure. wonderful person. <laughs> but I just saw like the leaders would say things. They would criticize parents for not watching their kids while their kids were running wild or they would. Right you know, tell you not to talk to people who were no longer coming to the church. Right. There, it was just, it was a little, it was really cuckoo and I didn't like it. And I wanted everyone to pay for, mm. for the injustices that I saw. So yeah, I was really not a good influence or kind person really when it came mm. to people at church, which is so surprising that <laughs> when I became 18, my dad basically gave me an ultimatum. Like you either go to college here and stay at home or you go to college somewhere away and you know, obviously you have to move out. So I was yeah. like, well, I'm going to LA. See you later. Bye. I am getting out of your house. <laughs> and you were in San Diego, right? I was in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So I moved to LA and I was, I was just not in a good place. I was at, I was to the point, I still hadn't realized I had been abused. Right. And so, yeah. but I was behaving in that way. Like I was acting out, wanting to harm people. So I was dating like all these guys and I was, my mindset was like, well, if they're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. Like that was right, just, just be talk about, yeah. Cynicism. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just feeling like the, every guy was out to get me really. So I was, why not just do the same to them? So I moved to LA. I went to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. Oh. And I, but I moved, I think I moved there like a month before I started school. So I could like find a job and kind of get in a rhythm and I was so lonely. I was driving down to San Diego like mm. every single weekend. I was doing lots of drugs and just hit my bottom and just realized like I had I remember this one weekend I had been going crazy and I came home from the beach. I was in Santa Monica and I realized gosh, like I'm going to die without God. Like mm. I just knew it. I just had this like deep down like I'm either going to die from an overdose I'm going to die from killing myself. I'm going to die because someone's going to kidnap me. Like, I just knew I was going to die. And so I had called my mom and was like, mom, I need to find a church. Like, can you find me a church up here? And this was back in the day of dial-up internet, right? Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I was the year 2000, which doesn't seem that long ago, but it was. And my yeah. mom was like, don't get on the internet. Don't get on the phone. I will call you back. She was like, she was so excited. And um, she ended up calling someone, like calling someone's house, but someone else answered. And so she called me back. And so that very next day, right, a little, still a little high, um, <laughs> went to downtown Hollywood. And I lived in downtown LA because I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be really cool and like downtown San Diego. <laughs> Yeah, And back in 2000, it was not, it was quite scary, especially for an 18 year old girl. 
So I went to Hollywood. I got there like a half hour early because, you know, in San Diego, it was like that was fellowship time. You get there a half hour. No one was there. And I ended up <laughs> sitting, you know, the people were practicing or whatever. And I was like sitting in the back, like all critical, like whatever these stupid people, like they're all late. Like just this critical cynicism, right? Like yeah. knowing I needed God, but like not liking the avenue that I would have to find him really. Sure. And then <laughs> one of the, women leaders you know main leader at the time walked up to me and was like hey uh come sit with me and so you know and she was like baffled by me because like we're singing the song I'm singing all the songs I don't need someone's trying to share their songbook with me and I'm like no I'm good (laughs) and they were like who is this person and so she asked me to study the bible and I was like sure okay but then that very next day I got home and I had a kidney infection and I had to go I had to go to the ER and then the ER doctor had said, like, if you're not feeling better with like 24 hours, come back. And then this woman, she came to my house to like hang out and like do a little Bible study with me. And I was like, I'm not feeling better. Will you take me to the ER? So she drove me from downtown L.A. all the way to UCLA. Oh, my gosh. What a Bible study. <laughs> right. In traffic. I'm like in pain, screaming, crying. Right. And so yeah, we yeah. end up sitting in the waiting room for like an hour, just talking to each other. So, you know, of course we bonded and it was great. And I felt really, um, I felt really close to her. And it was, I was like, I think I could do this. I'll do this. So I started studying the Bible and I became a Christian. I, I became a member of the church. I probably studied for about a month and wow. I, yeah. So November of 2000, that's when I became a member. And um, it was, <sighs> there's so much hindsight looking back, right. Where I'm like, Oh, so many red flags, but uh, yeah. So I married my husband. I met my husband in the church. I married, we got married. We had, we had three beautiful, wonderful children who are now 14, 12 and 10. And uh, then in 2016, well, so, you know, when the recession hit, my husband works in construction and so he just kept getting laid off he couldn't keep a job and we were having a really hard time and his parents and his grandparents were or his grandmother his grandfather wasn't alive anymore but um she was paying for us basically to live in LA and you know how expensive and three kids yeah. and it was really hard and so she was like you know I'm I'm paying for everything like I'd really like to to be close I'd love to get to know the grand and great grandbabies and so she was in LA or she used to be in LA but she had moved to Washington and so we moved up here in 2016 and then you know got tied into the church up here because you know because of the internationality of it and yes I've mentioned it on the podcast before but for any newer listeners who may not know, the church that we were both members of was an international organization, meaning there were many, many churches spanning the entire world under the same label, same organizational umbrella. So many churches all with the same, you know, same uh, suffix in the name that connected them all. So we came up here almost seven years ago. Next month, it'll be seven years we've been up here. I feel like the ministry up here was a lot less controlling than it was in LA. And it was felt like a really safe place to find a lot of healing. But in the past, actually, probably, well, for my husband, for Eli, more since 2020, he had been having feelings of like, is this really the right place for us? 
Yeah. Um, we love the people up here so much that it was really hard to make the choice. But we, uh, with all the stuff happening in, or being revealed, not happening because it was revealed. It had been sure. happening all along, right? We decided to leave the church. Is it two months now? I think it's been about two months now. So it's still fresh. It still feels weird on Sundays. Yeah. And on Wednesdays, it still feels really weird. Um, we are still kind of hanging out with some of our friends, um, like going yeah. to their small group, you know, things so that our kids can play. But like this recent, we recently went to one and it was like, you could tell that they were like finding someone to invite to church and they all like glommed on. And me and Eli were like, let's go hang out with the kids. Like <laughs> it was so, it was really awkward. It was so weird. Yeah. But then I was grateful, too, because I was like, I, I'm so grateful because I can't tell you the amount of times that I have made social interactions so awkward because I felt like I had to, again, my air quotes, share my faith. Right. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I don't even agree with that, the way yeah. the things that evangelism is pushed so hard now. But anyways, we have chosen to go on this path. I was calling it deconstruction, but I recently I've been. Like, I, I want to decolonize my faith. Hmm. Like, I feel like my faith has been, it has been colonized by so yeah. many not right things. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah, that is a very, like, there's so much meat in between, which I'm sure we'll get in, in, into. Yes, we, we definitely will. And um, we'll, we'll get into, as well, the through line topic of this episode and what chapter in the book it ties into. But first, I would love to get a little bit of a better picture of your church experience growing up through your life. You weren't technically, I mean, you weren't born into the church, but you were by all means, by all intents and purposes, a church kid. Yeah. Um, you had the whole experience. And I think probably as much, as far as you can remember, you were a church kid in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. Looking back, what were some of the positive aspects and what were some of the negative aspects of that church lifestyle, culture, et cetera? I was actually thinking and praying about this question because I was like, I had a really hard time thinking of positives. <laughs> like, mm, yeah. A really hard time, especially now because I'm looking at it through the lens of what it really was instead of the survival mode. Sure. You know, explain away thinking of my, of my, walk um in this church but yeah. the thing that i landed on was that my mom had this group of friends she's still friends with them like they're best buds yeah. and she had a really great support system with them they loved her unconditionally they were there for her and they always joke they and they love me they love me and my brother they you know they're they're always there. You know, I, I have memories of like when I'd be sad or something, I'd call them. Right. Yeah. So they were just always really wonderful women and they would always pray for me. And I feel like that that is probably what helped me live <laughs> through yeah. my childhood, especially my teen years. Like, and they would tell me, they would be like, Oh, we're, we're praying for you, you know, like, oh, we prayed, yeah. we prayed that you, you know, and they would pray like specific things like, oh, we've been praying that you would just wake up one day and not like that boyfriend you're with and just break up. <laughs> and I would, I would like divine intervention. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> like, oh, I don't like you anymore. See you later. Bye. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> 
so I just feel like the covering of prayer, because I was, right, the black sheep, they yeah. all found it so necessary to cover me in prayer, which I am so grateful for. I really, that was something that was really great. So, yeah. One of the hugest things, or not hugest, I don't like that word, but one of the <laughs> one of the, the biggest things in my life right now that I'm really trying to uncover and, and rebuild with God is how he thinks of me, right? Mm. I think along the years as I've matured, I felt like, okay, God really does love me for who I am. But the, the foundation of my walk with God has been one of that God is not happy with me. That God is always critical of me, always tearing me down or wishing I would do better. Yeah. Like it was just always so skewed. And I think because I can think through each step of my life, how judged and criticized I was. Right. Like, so um, as a teen, I was, you know, kicked out of youth group. Yeah. And I think of how I was met with just judgment instead of curiosity, you know, Mm. Cause I was really hurting. There was a lot of stuff going on in my life because I was acting out because of what had happened to me. I didn't know it, but yeah. you know, the mature adults in my life, they could have, they could have been there for me and they weren't. Instead, they just made me feel ostracized and, and like I wasn't worth getting to know. There was one woman who she was rad. She was the exception. She never tried to convert me. She never tried to, she, you know, she took me to go see speed in the movie theater eight times. Like, wow. (laughs) Yes. She was so rad and I love her to death still. She was really integral to me, you know? So I guess that is the the one good thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, that relationship, she just loved me unconditionally, but when you pull that against the rest of the, you know, the majority pushing me out, it it was really painful. Just always being critical of me. And then, you know, when I did, did become a member of the church, I was always criticized as being really lazy. I would have a hard time waking up. Mm. I would, you know, felt, you know, I would sleep in all the time, all this stuff. Well, later in my adult life, I found out I have an autoimmune disease that that's actually the reason I had. Right. So like, never met with curiosity, always just met with a label. Yeah. A label. Right. Um, which I talked to my husband he's always like, you are the least lazy person I know (laughs) in this world. You always have something going on. Yeah. So just, just feeling like, yeah, like you said, like labeled, just, this is who I am. Right. Right. Shame. Instead of something that maybe this is a sign that something's wrong with your health maybe you should talk to your doctor about this, right? Like that, I was never right. met with any of that. And then when I studied the Bible, <laughs> you know, they do that that sin study, right? Where you tell mm-hmm. everyone everything you've ever done that is a sin. And Yes, at a certain stage in this Bible study series to get baptized into our church, you had to make a list, a sin list of every single sin you can remember committing throughout your entire life, from as soon as you were old enough to know what a sin was, you had to write a list down of every single instance, specific instance of a time you sinned and what you did and often, you know, whatever your motives were. So uh, that was definitely an experience. Right? Yes, that sin list. And just being so vulnerable and sharing things. And the things I shared were red flags. Mm -hmm. Like, 
in the moment I didn't realize, oh, I that was actually rape. Like I was raped. Yeah. And and instead of someone going, wow, that doesn't sound right. Like you were so young when that happened. Like let's talk through this, right? Instead, it was, well, you're a harlot, basically. Man. I mean, that's the feeling yeah. I got, right? And I was mm-hmm. 18 when I went through these Bible studies, so I was not old. Like I didn't yeah. have, you know, yeah, just tons and tons of red flags. And the fact that these studies are the prereq for becoming, you know, quote unquote, a Christian yeah, makes these people who are doing the Bible studies gatekeepers, but they're not trained. They're not right. trained to hear, oh, that's sexual abuse. Oh, you were raped. Like they're, they're just hearing it through this lens of quick, let's get this person convicted about sin so that they'll mm-hmm. feel guilted to change so that they can then be ready for the waters of baptism. Right. They're, they're trained solely for their ears to be attuned to seeing just the just the things that are good in this view of the things they need to know and the things that could be bad and that they're not progressing in this. Anything else, they're, they're, not, they're not taught to look for those things. So when they come up, when, and they often do, they don't see them. And they treat right. them as if in a very damaging way because they're only focused on putting you in this direction towards becoming a Christian and being baptized. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That and so damaging because it just reiterated that I was not lovable or Mm. able to be loved by God unless I changed who I was. Yeah. And that is exactly what I did. I became a little parrot. Like my Mm. my husband would always tell me he could tell who I was hanging out with. Like even (laughs) when we were friends, he could tell who I, I had been hanging out with by the way I was acting. Because it was my defense mechanism, right? It was my survival instinct to then, oh, well, if you're a leader and you're highly praised, I'm going to try to be just like you so that I won't be criticized and I won't be shamed, right? Yeah. It was so damaging. So, yeah. So I took these things on. There was a, a recovery, addiction recovery ministry. And I took on this identity of I'm a drug addict, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Again, the focus was always on what I did and not why. There was no curiosity as to why. And so yeah. I took on this identity, which now later in life, I'm like, I was I'm not. I'm I don't drink. I still don't drink and I don't do drugs. Like that's not, you know, I still yeah. choose not to do those things. But now it's more for health reasons. Sure. But looking back and uncovering it and you know because i've been going to to therapy for a long time i see oh no you were i'm just codependent so the same thing i was doing to the leaders in the church i had done as a youth i want to belong and so i'm going to use drugs and drink with you people like i want to i want to be a part of this i want to be a part of this community so i will assimilate right so i can you know so i can belong and that's what i did I, I totally did that. It, and it, and also, you know, Eli noticed it and he hated it. He hated it when I acted <laughs> with other people. It would be like the source of so many fights. Like, you're acting like so-and-so. Like, cut it out. Be yourself. Like, I didn't marry yeah. so-and-so. Like, I married you. Mm-hmm. And actually, recently we were talking and he was like, you know, I'm seeing you become you again, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Like, I think yeah. it's showing how much God has been growing me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So then even as a young married, right? 
now looking back, I see the patriarchy, right? Man is better, the hierarchy, right? The leaders mm-hmm. are the best and the men, but if you're a man, you're even better. Yeah. And so when we got married, it was always like, you know, he's the head, he's in charge. He, you know, so we were shamed about so many things early on in our marriage, right? Like money. Yeah. I am very, very organized. I have yeah. like, I love spreadsheets. I'm so good <laughs> at balancing my checkbook. Like before spreadsheets, I would, as a teenager, would balance my checkbook by hand. That's a good skill. Yeah. I loved it. And still I do it. But we were heavily criticized that my dyslexic, dysgraphia, ADD husband wasn't in charge of the finances. Wow. Yeah. And no, I don't think anyone ever believed him that he had those things. I think they thought he was making excuses. Yeah. Because of the way I I believe that because of the way we were shamed. Right. Sure. And so (laughs) I remember this one time we were like, okay, fine. Like, okay. We were finally shamed enough that he took over. And within, I think five days we were overdrafted. Oh, and man. receiving like all these things. You're like, like, what do you expect? Right. Yeah. And but no one was there to support us and help us when that whole mess right. up happened. We just right. secretly and quietly changed the finances back into my control. Yeah. And we didn't tell anyone about it because we knew we would be criticized and we didn't want to be. Uh, and yeah. unfortunately, I heavily criticized him because I think I was also on that bandwagon of not really believing him and thinking he that mm. he was just making excuses, right? Which yeah. really hurt us early on, which we are, just to clarify, you know, 18 late, years later, we are like happier than we've ever been. We're like That's closer so than we've ever been. Yeah. It is amazing. And it's a miracle because of the things, right? There's more things that happened in our marriage, right? Like I was yeah. called to submit and be the one that cleaned. He would never clean, never, not even if he had made a huge mess in the kitchen or something. I was always the one that had to clean it up because of these stigmas. No one ever outright said it, but it was just these stigmas. Like you're the wife, you, your place is in the home. Now, mind you, as a young girl, my dream was always to be a stay at home mom. So Mm. there were parts of that, that I was like, yes, yes, I want that for my life. Right. Like, yes, but be the provider. I will support you. But it was actually earlier in our marriage. It was a bone of contention that I made a whole lot more money than he did. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because of those stigmas. Right. Like you're supposed to be providing. I shouldn't be doing, you know, just bitterness, bitterness and criticalness and and just tearing him down which I'm really ashamed of, but, you know, and even in the, in the line of sex, like I still hadn't realized I had been abused. And yeah. I remember going to a group, um, you know, cause you, we had these small groups where we would get, they call them D D groups, right? D groups. And yep. I'm explaining, you know, all about it, but I'm explaining for maybe any <laughs> listeners that don't know. And yeah. um, which it's short for discipleship group, right? Which I've stopped using that word. I call it criticism now like I was never discipled because it didn't help me be like Jesus it just made me not like Jesus actually and it made me feel shame and so I went to this d group and I had been sharing like because he was pretty demanding and we have sent we've worked through all me and Eli have worked through all of this in therapy but it hasn't been until recently how much I realized his demandingness came from the pulpit I always thought Mm -hmm. it was kind of him but he wasn't like that before he became a, a member of the church like he yeah he became like this as a, you know, as a member. 
And he was demanding. He was not listening to my no. He was not, you know, there were a lot of things. And I went to that D group and I was like, I feel like my husband is raping me. Mm. And their reaction, well, not all of them, because all the other women were intimidated by the the leader. Sure. Um, And so they all fell in line, right? But the leader's reaction was, how dare you talk about your husband that way? Mm. It, you know, your body's not your own, totally proof texting the Bible, right? Yep. Your body's not your own. You should be giving it to him. You yeah, should submit. not. You know, that's it. Yeah. Bottom, bottom line. One word. Uh-huh. That's it. Yes, no nuance, exactly. no context. Submit. No question. No curiosity. Like, why would you feel like that? Like, let's dive in. When have you ever felt yeah. like that in the past? Like nothing. Right. Again, the lack of training that we were talking about. Right. These yeah. people are put in charge of groups and supposed to lead other people. And they are just not trained. They don't know, you know, oh, that's a huge red flag that you've probably been abused, right? That you're feeling this way. Which actually, I mean, we have, again, we have worked it out. Like he, he has taken responsibility. He's like, yeah, I, I was, I wasn't listening yeah. to your nose. Yes. And, and so we worked through that as a couple later on in our marriage, but it wasn't until very recently that I was like, oh, this, this was, this was from the pulpit. This was mm-hmm. preached. We were indoctrinated to believe that rape culture was right that it was christian that it was acceptable because it fit the parameters that they were creating exactly exactly because the man is the head right right? like what what other kind of culture is going to come out of that way of thinking yeah it's horrible anyways i can't speak for other people but who knows what those other women that were in there? Cause we were all, we were part of a young married Steve group. So yeah. I don't know if that interaction shut their mouths and they never said anything or spoke up about what was going on in their marriage. Right. Like, Oh, cause, cause in many contexts, no matter what the topic may be, that happens so often where some person speaks up because it doesn't feel right to them. And they're told, yeah. no, it is. And they're the problem and they get shamed for it. And then everyone else mm-hmm. is like, Oh, I, I have that same issue, but I'm never saying it. And they don't, and they don't get shamed but then they don't get help. (laughs) Right, exactly. And that actually reminds me. So even when I was a pretty young Christian, we were in a big circle praying. And this, this one leader, she was like, like during this other person's prayer, she was like interrupting and like saying, like, and like saying quippy little things in the prayer. It was so weird. And so afterward, I was like, wow, that was really distracting. I went up to her and I was like, that was really distracting. And I felt like it was really disrespectful. And her response to me was like, you're prideful. You're um, like, I was wrong. In like- what world? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that kind of stuff that taught me, don't speak up. Yeah. If you see something that's wrong, don't say anything because you're going to get torn into like yeah. big time torn into. And mind you, just to let you know, that that woman who did, you know, a lot of harm, she and I have have since reconciled and she's taken like full yeah. responsibility and is like mm-hmm. a completely different person. So yeah. people can change. <laughs> yeah. And many of this 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 is more of a more of a a testament to the culture that yes, you, you're a part of, she, not just other people. Yeah. I think, yes, I think that she was, exactly, she was reacting to the culture of the church, the pressure yeah. of how she felt like she had to lead, because she was probably led in the same exact way. Oh, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think even you've said so many times in your book, like these people had 
great motives, like your, yeah. you know, like their motives were to help and to love and to try to help people to become, because I even then furthered the perpetration of these things, right? And sure. I know my heart and I was never trying to harm people. I was just trying to be accepted and I was trying to belong. And so yeah. I was parroting, you know, and mirroring the dysfunction that I saw in my life. You were doing what was good, what was right, but you were going by what their definition was, what was good and what was right. Yes, exactly, yeah. Austin. Yes, that's exactly what I was doing. And yeah. and it hurts me. I think, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, I wish I could remember these people's names. I like, <laughs> to the young man that was raising his hands during, you know, worship singing before our church caught on and started doing it, you know, normally, to him, I am so sorry that I came up and corrected you and told you that you mm-hmm. were distracting our fellowship. Like, if you're yeah, listening, yeah. if you're out there, I am so sorry. Like, that's an amends that I wish I could make in person because mm-hmm. I can see how much I harmed his faith in God. Being criticized and torn apart for who he was and how he wanted to show his love. You know? Yeah. The fact that I furthered it has been one of the hardest things for me to reconcile yeah it's doing what you believe is right and then realizing that the time you spent the the right wasn't quite on the mark and sometimes very far off the mark you're like wow i i never had malice but i did damage in the name of what i thought was right when i was told was right and it's not yeah having to reconcile that yeah 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 it's been hard so yeah hopefully that person <laughs> I would love if they're listening. That'd be amazing. Me that be too. Awesome? Oh my gosh. If you are, please contact me. Um, oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you and apologize to you. Or if you're listening and you know me and I can't remember your name, but I harmed you and you know, being one of those people that was leading a Bible study untrained and yeah. tearing you apart, right? Like <sighs> Yeah. I'm yes. Come talk to me. I'd love to make amends. Um, yeah. So anyways, so, you know, then I become a mom Mm -hmm. and I was criticized hard. Well, first of all, I was giving this, these books that your mom actually talked about when she shared in her episode, the, the, uh, uh, the, the quote unquote recommended books. Yes. Yeah. Horrible. So, you know, I get these books and I'm reading these books on how I should train my children and I'm, you know, doing the best I can. And by this point, I think I may have been pregnant with Wyatt. So Harley wasn't even two. And she, you know, according to the people in my life, she didn't listen to me well enough. Mm. And the reason, in their opinion, was because I wasn't firm enough. I wasn't hard. I don't know that they wouldn't have said harsh, but, you know, looking back. Maybe not, not strict enough, not firm enough, not, yeah. Yeah. And so I was heavily criticized for my parenting style. And so then I, you know, would amp it up and, and treat her in ways that I, I didn't really feel comfortable with. I have since totally made amends with her, which is so good. But she has memories of, you know, not great things. But again, the lack of curiosity, because what it turned out is she actually couldn't hear me. She had uh, wow. problems with her ears and she yeah. had to get tunes in her ears. And so one, and she didn't, we didn't figure that out until she was about three. And as soon as she came home with those tubes in her ears, it was like, she could hear me. Yeah. It was just like, and again, just that criticism, right? Like that I'm not good enough. I'm not doing it right. 
I need to be better. Yeah. Just a lot, a lot of heavy handed criticism. I mean, you nailed it. Just the lack of curiosity, the lack yeah. of curiosity. And I don't know if you've watched, uh, there's a show called Ted Lasso. I love that show. Yeah. One of the one of the best scenes is the scene. If you guys have seen it, if you're listening to this, there's a scene in the bar and he's throwing darts and he's talking about being curious, not judgmental. And that's that's what came to mind. It's like it's so true though. Asking questions will lead to so much more growth than bringing out a list of bullet points of how you do things and taking Mm -hmm. no no nuance into the equation. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone is different. Everyone's unique. Everyone's individual. Yeah. God knows that. And he leads us individually. But oftentimes churches can find, try to figure out a foolproof formula to always use for every situation. And it doesn't work for everybody. It only works for, in many cases, a very small percentage of people. And they're the ones who put it into law because it works for them. Well, and it also takes away people's autonomy to choose from, yeah. for themselves, right? Like I, right. here I am, a young mom, already heavily indoctrinated into this this way of living in this culture, in this church. And just automatically taking everything that's criticized upon me as, yes, something's wrong with me. Right. And mind you, I had already been dealing with the sexual abuse of my past. Like I had been seeing a therapist since 2007. I still see the same therapist since 2007. And I had been, so 2008 is when I realized I had been abused and started working through that. And I had Harley in 2009. And so, you know, here I am, I'm uncovering all these things. I'm trying to navigate, oh my gosh, these things happened to me. What does this mean in my walk with God? What does this mean? And, you know, all this stuff, right? Um, Wrestling through, do I even trust God? Like, I really hated him for a long time. And had, you know, I did a lot of work. I did a lot of healing work, Um, a lot of Mm -hmm. therapy, a lot of support groups. But already I'm predisposed as being a victim of childhood sexual abuse. I'm predisposed to think everything is my fault. Right. So I was just ripe pickings to fit into this culture of like fit in. Right. And then of course I marry the man who like doesn't fit in. Yeah. He's like, um, I'm an anarchist for Christ. (laughs) (laughs) It's on a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like he, he doesn't fit in. He doesn't assimilate. He doesn't drink the Kool-Aid as much. He did. I mean, we've been talking a lot about it. He's like, yeah, of course I drank the patriarchy Kool-Aid because it, it benefited me. It fed my ego, you know, what you're taught was the right way to do it. Exactly. And so, but I actually, there were times where the main leader of the church down there in LA would come up to me and tell me that I was more spiritual than my husband Hmm. and tell me, (laughs) yes. And Hmm. tell me like, oh, you're just like a better person, which first of all, why you got to slam my husband to me? Yeah, because right. I was already getting criticized for being critical of my husband. Right. Already, that's, that's just rude. On basis. <laughs> yeah. and, and second of all, yeah, I looked more spiritual because I assimilated to what you thought everyone should look like. Right. They equated spiritualism or, spirit or, or faithfulness with, with how closely you adhered to the way they did things. Exactly. And I've since talked to my husband like, and, and, you know, we have these conversations where I'm like, you, <laughs> not that it's like a comparison thing. Sure. Like we're all on our own paths, but he, his devotion to Jesus convicts yeah. the tar out of me. Like yeah. he loves Jesus. I mean, yeah, it's probably the only reason that I still even want to have anything to do with Jesus. Hmm. 
And so to look back and to see that people thought that he was less spiritual, it just disgusts me. Yeah, when, when, when his individual, I'm, I'm speaking for you here, but I'm, I'm trying to fill yeah. in the blanks here. It is, yeah. What I'm getting is, is his individual connection with Jesus apart yeah. from the system. Yes. Is once, once the system fails you, and if your entire structure of Jesus and God for you was within the confines of the system, when the system fails, that's gone. Yes. And then when that's all rubble, the things that still stand are the ones that were built authentically. Yes. For, your, for yourself. Yes, exactly. Yes. Thank you. Actually, you have this beautiful way of saying exactly what is in my heart that I don't know how to communicate. Like oh, good. this whole you have been so integral to this this path that I've been on of oh, even deciding oh. to leave these churches. Like I just I'm so grateful. I I, I need a t shirt that says I I helped blank amount of people leave their church. <laughs> That'd be great for my resume. Yeah. Well, and the, you know what? We could even perspective change that. Like not leave their church, but leave the dysfunction that was harming them. Yeah. Right? Because it's yeah. not about because I have friends they're choosing to stay in the church, right? Sure. And go you go for it. You try to change that culture. Yeah. If that's what's good for you in your life, go for it. Sure. For me and my household, we're going to serve God in another way. Like, yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's it's what we were saying is there isn't just an answer of, oh, leave your church. That's the answer. Yeah. Every single person is being led an individual to me and to you and for many people. It may be very clear that for us, this next decision is so clear that that's the right thing to make. But I cannot yeah. say this person, that's where God's calling you because I have no right. idea. I would never dare speak for God on an issue that is exactly. so integral like that. For any yeah. for any situation in life, not just leaving your church, but anything. And that's something that is so normal when you're in a church like this, in an unhealthy church, yeah. when you're gone. It's so bizarre that they took on the role of God's interpreter. Yes. Where no, that's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's the Bible's job. That's not yes. your job. He's right. talking to us. He doesn't need to talk through you to get to us. And when right. that happens, everything gets warped and you're being led and pushed and quote unquote motivated in so many directions that God doesn't even want you for you to go. Mm-hmm. You're being told that's what he wants for you to do mm-hmm. because it's the church's mission. Anyway, that's a little bit of a side, side note, but yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yes. So yeah, I am grateful for you just putting your heart out there and and putting words to things that I was like, yes, exactly. Yeah. That's what's been burning in my heart. Kind of like the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus where Jesus yes. started, you know, and he's telling and, and they, their hearts were burning. They were like, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm Anyways. so glad. I appreciate that. That ego boost. I love it. I know. <laughs> That's why I did it. So I, I'm so, I, I really am glad though that, and I hope these conversations do the same for many people listening just yeah. putting words to things and validating pe- things that people have already felt and know right. that need to be kind of almost maybe sometimes reminded of sometimes just give voice to their or validated thoughts. yeah because Val- they're, they're not so alone long, in the culture of the church we were, i know i was shamed to think that right like what i've been saying i'm the problem yeah i it's it's me that has the issues there's nothing wrong, right? Smoke screen. There's nothing wrong yep. over here. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's me, right? And so for someone to hear, oh my gosh, I've been through something like that. 
and to go, oh, oh my gosh, I wasn't the pro. It wasn't me. This was happening right. to other people. Oh my god, like it's it's freeing, right? The truth will set yeah. you free. And that's a huge deal to go. Oh, it wasn't me. Wow. Yes, and you know. I know I have some things I can take responsibility for. I am not sin free. I am prideful and I am, you know, there are so many things, but not to the degree that I was told I was prideful, right? Like it's not not your label. It's not who you are. No, exactly. Exactly. So to bring it all the way back to what we were talking about, you know, just realizing that like, oh my gosh, my daughter couldn't actually hear me. Like that felt like hurt my heart. Right. She couldn't hear me. And I was, I was labeling her as disobedient, right? right? I was putting something on her that wasn't for her to take. Yeah, I think I touched on this earlier too, is like how I was judged harshly for my criticism. And yeah. it's like, when I was journaling about it, I was like, wow, this is like, this is, you know, this hypocrisy, right? Of like, yeah. we're going to criticize, 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 criticize you. But when you're critical, oh no, you're the problem, right? Yeah. So I think that that was another another element for me of like, oh, this is not how God wanted me to be treated. Yeah. Okay, so you, Jen, are joining me on episode 17 of the podcast. And this episode is based around the topics of chapter 17 in my book, which is titled Cynics and Sponges, which the metaphor for that, you have to read the book for it because that's a lot of explanation. But basically the chapter revolves around the idea of cynicism, specifically the cynical perspectives and dispositions and skepticism that we can take on many times unwittingly and undesiringly as a result of our negative experiences um, and our hurts and our pains and our wounds. You know, I think this is a very relatable, unfortunately, relatable idea for many people. It's been for me and for many people I've talked to, if not all of them, there is a resonance with finding yourself with it with a much more negative perception, humanly, which makes you know, naturally of many different aspects of faith and religion and church and God, right? After having gone through and being subject to those things, those very things being weaponized against them. For example, in my book, I talk about this, and this may be one of, if not the biggest example of this kind of cynical perspective and stance we can have in the church as a whole, right? For me, being hurt by the church, being hurt by different people and leaders and systems and ideas and practices even, right? That I had put my trust in and offered my complete trust to, those things ended up hurting me, right? And being the source of so much pain and different lasting things for a long time, and even still, but, but especially those few years directly after deciding to leave, I had this immense inner cynicism towards church, churches as a whole, because those churches were, or that church, right, in my experience, was the place where these things happened. And I applied that humanly, naturally, to all churches. And it's not even really always to the point of 
me just declaring that all churches are bad. I'm, at least for me, I was aware of the fact that, no, there are probably many churches that didn't do the hurtful, unhealthy things that my church did. However, before I witnessed and had to go through and experience any of the hurtful things, if I ever saw, had a friend going to church or saw a church on the street or saw a sermon online or saw an Instagram page of a pastor, my first inclination would be recept- receptivity to it, right? And a, and a positive response. But after going through those things and seeing the dark side of many unhealthy practices, ideas, beliefs in my church, whenever seeing any church, no matter if I have any tie to it or have known nothing about it, my first inclination is defensiveness and negativity and cynicism and skepticism of the church, of its leaders, of its members, of its mission, of its agendas, of its ideologies, of its beliefs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It may not be some deep-seated hatred or deep-seated cynicism in that, in the sense of the term people use where it just oozes with almost a malice. It wasn't like that. It's just a, a, a skeptical default where now, where there used to be open offered trust, there's now walls. And what I really want to say about this first is that I don't want this to come across as, oh, this is an episode about cynicism to tell people that it's not good and we need to get out of it. That's not what I want to do because that's not helpful. It wasn't helpful to me. And I know probably from some of you listening, just the idea, just the word cynicism, when I bring it up and say it, it may evoke some defensiveness because maybe the way that the idea has been brought up to you before about being cynical. And I really don't want to discuss this in a way that seems to attribute cynicism to just your being in terms of, oh, it's a thing you're holding on to and you have that's not good, and we need to get rid of it. Where I do believe, like, I think we can all agree cynicism isn't, isn't healthy. It's not a good thing. But the thing is, what, at least what I've come to realize, is that most of us don't want to be cynical. We don't choose, I mean, okay, we choose to be cynical, yes. But we didn't ask to be given the ammo, per se, to be able to come up with a cynical attitude about something. We were unwittingly and undesiringly put through experiences that hurt us, and our human response to it is now being defensive about it and skeptical, as anybody would be, because that's not necessarily a dumb response. If something hurts you, if something does something bad to you, to then be on guard the next time you're in a situation where you're susceptible to it is human. And when we're in that period of time where we're dealing with cynical outlooks about something, it's really not helpful for somebody, at least for me, it's not helpful for somebody to come and tell me, oh, you're just being cynical, you got to get over it, it's not healthy, move on. Because I, like, don't you know I know that? I know I don't want to have these cynical things, but the problem is I do. So that's kind of the context that this conversation is going to be 
surrounded by. It's not necessarily going to be this episode about, okay, what can we do to get rid of the cynicism? I think while that is definitely, I think, helpful for people when they're in that place and ready to do that, I think it's much more important just to talk about the fact that cynicism is something that is human and natural and many people are dealing with. In the book, I do talk a little bit about that next step of, yeah, I don't want to hold on to this for, for years and years and years and years. That's, you know, when people do that, you can really get stuck if you hold on to cynicism for a long time because all it does is, is cripple you. It really does. But from my own experience, it's really, really hard. It's near impossible to find yourself in a place where you're ready to let go of that cynicism until you're able just to recognize why you're feeling it and to acknowledge that it's normal and to kind of demystify the experience of experiencing cynicism. And in my book, in this chapter, I kind of start off by walking, in many ways, writing it to walk myself through kind of asking the question of how did I get here? Or when I was writing it, I was still very, I, I still am. There are things where I'm still cynical about certain aspects of, of things. I'm skeptical about certain ways the church works and certain ways faith works and whatever. But I was writing through the, kind of trying to answer the question of how did I find myself here with these cynical things? And the first thing I kind of came to was the, the root idea of vulnerability. And I kind of discussed the idea of how vulnerability is, in many ways, the key ingredient that is needed for many vital, healthy, great aspects of your life, but can also be that key ingredient that, when misused and weaponized and utilized against you can be the thing that leads to that cynicism. And I wanted to read an excerpt here. I took out this paragraph. It says, vulnerability is the key that opens the gate to connection. And connection is what leads to love, growth, healing, and wholeness. However, there's an inherent risk in vulnerability, which I believe is the price required to acquire such gifts. Vulnerability also allows the chance for us to be hurt. Like a knight shedding his iron armor in enemy territory, being vulnerable is intentionally dropping our shields, lowering the steel gates to the castle of our heart, and allowing entry to those who seek admittance. Vulnerability takes courage as it allows access to our true selves, our authentic selves. It retains no false fronts or inaccurate personas. It displays your weaknesses just as broadly as your strengths. In order to achieve complete trust, you hand someone a knife, the blade pointed toward yourself, with the full awareness that if they so desired, they could thrust it right into you, knowing the exact spots that are most defenseless, where the blade will sink deepest. We have all been vulnerable, and we have all had experiences where that vulnerability results in us lying in a pool of our own blood, alone, a knife wedged between our ribs. I have been that victim more times than I feel I deserve. I have been stabbed by that knife at various moments throughout my life. 
the handle held by close friends, trusted mentors, and communities I had once considered family. And though I continually find in myself the strength to pull the knife out and heal my wound, it seems that each time there remains a greater hesitancy to offer it again. We have all trusted people holding the knife. We have all at one point or another had that trust betrayed, and we all have experienced the diminishing trust and increasing cynicism as a result of our hurt. Now, that was a lot of words, but I hope that in, in saying that, it gives an accurate picture of what I see as being that core idea about vulnerability. We offer ourselves. We very blatantly show people our weakest spots, our weakest points in ourselves, in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. And there's a whole lot of trust that goes into that, in that those things, those weaknesses will be handled with love, with respect, with care. And when that trust, when that vulnerability is betrayed and used against us and we get hurt in, you know, by people or in communities in which we offer that vulnerability, it replaces that with a lack of trust, a greater hesitancy to be vulnerable. And those walls go up and we find ourselves cynical and skeptical of these different things. So enough for me here. I wanted to spend the time to really paint the, the picture and the, lay the foundation for this. But I want to ask you this. So going off this idea of cynicism, throughout your church journey, faith journey, um, as a result of all these experiences that you've had, you know, many negative, some positive, what are some specific, or are there some specific aspects of church, religion, faith, God, that you have found yourself, either in the past or currently, having a skeptical or cynical outlook on because of the experiences that you have attributed to it? So, you know, I already talked about how when I was younger, I felt like everyone was critical, like hypocritical. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that that was really something that I, I really pushed back on and hated when I was younger. That was something that was very cynical, like, oh, there are just a bunch of hypocrites. And so that's a big one. I, Yes. And so I didn't want to have anything to do with church when I was younger because of that. So that was something that was really, really big for me. But then I think currently, you know, I've already been talking about like the patriarchy and the victim shaming, right? Like, and I feel like the, the church always focused on protecting the image of the church mm-hmm. instead of protecting victims or, you know, even the way that I was handled, right? Like I was kicked out and I feel like that was protecting the image of the church. So the bad girl's not there. Right. Right. Um, And so that, and even up until, you know, right before we left, I was part of a a committee and I just saw more of that. Right. I was, I was trying to help the culture of the church and the pushback was so, it was just so weird. It was just that same culture of like, well, we've got to protect the church, right? The church might get sued if we do that. Or, you know, like it was always, as if God needs needs our protection, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if the church is getting sued, it's because God wants it to, because he wants it to change. <laughs> I don't know. So I think that that is something currently I'm skeptical of is like, you know, we haven't found a church to land on. There's one on the other side in Seattle. That's what we call the other side of the Puget Sound. We call it the other side. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is kind of aligning with the things that I'm feeling like are important. But I, just, I mean, we're not driving to Seattle every Sunday, you know. So 
we'll watch their their videos sometimes but i'm just super skeptical of like trying to find another church like i don't feel like there's one out there i mean near me yeah that's not going to be totally patriarchal and hier- hierarch hierarch hierarchical Hierarchical. i don't know one of those two yes um i I, just even the the lgbtqia plus hatred that i see in churches Mm -hmm. i just am super skeptical to be able to find someone somewhere that's inclusive and accepting and loving in the way that i actually feel like the bible really actually says instead of you know it being proof texted so that's something i'm i'm really skeptical of right now i think of even we kind of touched on this when we were talking about eli's relationship with jesus like i in this path i've realized how much i do not have a relationship with true jesus Hmm. and how whether i i think it's a mixture of cynicism and doubt sure and i know for a fact it is directly correlated to the way that he was weaponized in my life it was always that I was killing him all over again. Right. Like basically yeah. uh, no one ever outright said that, but that was the feeling like, like I'm so horrible. That's why he had to, like, he would have died for me if I was the only human alive, but it only counts. Like, this is what I felt like. It only counts if I change who I am to be acceptable to him so that his death isn't a waste. Right. And so now I'm really wrestling. Like, I don't know why I connected to, to you know, God, the father to the Holy spirit more now, Holy, you know, back in the culture before Holy spirit was never talked about. Never, never. It's, such a, it's, ne- it's one of three parts. It's huge. Yes. It was always father, son and Holy Bible. Right. Like right. Yep. that was, <laughs> yeah. that was the Trinity in in the culture of the church. Yeah. But now it's, I've been, you know, connecting to the Holy spirit more and, and trusting. And this is huge for sexual abuse survivors is trusting my own intuition. Absolutely. Especially when you're always told the heart is deceitful above all things. So knowing, like trusting myself when I go, oh, I don't like this. Even the choice to leave this church took me months, maybe even years of God working on my heart Mm -hmm. and showing me the ways, you know, like it was a long, hard decision. Like it was a really hard, heavy choice. But to have the faith, I've actually been reading this book about the disciples on the road of to Emmaus, about how you, like God is even with you when you're walking away from God, right? This is The Road Away from God by Jonathan Martin. Yes! Right? Uh, yes! He's my guest next episode. Oh, I can't wait. That's hilarious. <laughs> Can I be up there too? No. That's, yeah, come on on. That's really funny though. That's a funny coincidence. Oh. It's a great he, book. That book is amazing. It's been helping my heart because I'm like, yeah, I'm walking away from quote unquote God. Yeah. But I'm being, I can't think of the word, but like triaged. Like <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like God has me in triage. Like he's like, no, no, babe, I got you. Um yeah. and even like in the path of like trying to decolonize my faith is like I'm even trying to change the way I talk about God, right? Like I'm gonna try to like even try to change my verbiage to be like, no, this is creator, all encompassing to even just grasp that like everything good in my life, everything that's creative in my life, that has come from creator, that has come from a place of love, not criticism. Yeah, I, I love that. I think it's so true what you were talking about, about God 
bringing reconciliation, restoration, right? It's all out of love. That's it. That's everything. If love was the root of the tree, every single branch, every leaf, every stem of that root comes from a center of love. That is the center of it. There is no criticism. There is no shame. There is no judgment. I mean, there, judgment in the bad sense. I believe there is good judgment that only God can do, which is a righteous judgment, which is from love. But there is no judgment in condemnation. But there is nothing, not an ounce of any action he takes or anything he does that flows from any other root than love. And I think, I mean, we're taught this all the time. This is all we're taught usually, you know, at a, at a core level. But that, it's, it's crazy to me how often that can get lost. Such a simple idea that is so vital to be foundational and, and the foundation of all our beliefs so often gets lost and compromised for so many other things that we lose sight of Maybe not that God is love in a simple context, but we lose sometimes our soul level belief and conviction of that and dependency on that. Whereas if we really believed that and knew that, it makes it so much easier to recognize and discern things that aren't him. So much easier because it really doesn't matter what the context is, what the category, what the subject, what the topic, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. You can look at them and look at whatever's being said and shared and done, especially the actions being taken, and ask yourself, is that being done through love? Oh, it isn't? Then I don't think it's God. And the things people say to you, especially regarding who God is and what God wants, what God wants of you and for you, and the, the things that God tells you, people, people tell you that God says you are, right? If someone is criticizing you and telling them that God believes and agrees with that, if it's not through love, then you know, no, I don't think that's what God's saying. That's what you're saying to me. You're telling me I'm this. You're shaming me for this. You're saying I'm this label. But there's no love in it. Just condemnation. Just judgment. That's not God. And that can free us preemptively many times from so many chains because we're able to discern the true nature of God from the forefront. Okay, so here's another question. So thinking about all of these experience you're talking about, looking back since you were five and through all that experiences up until you left, up until now, what specifically in the time when you were still a part of this church, what is something or a few things that you wish you had known then? One of the main things is that God's voice, creator's voice will never shame or criticize me. Mm-hmm. Like creator's voice always wants to create beauty, joy, love, right? Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, yeah. self-control. Like those things are what creator's voice sounds like in me. And so from, I wish I had known to be, critical of the criticalness yeah attuned to to it yeah to go oh these are red flags these are you know this is not god's this is not creator's voice yeah this is not 
who you are meant to be or how you are meant to think of them. And then um, I also wish that I had known how to read the Bible. That's a good one. <laughs> and, the, you know, in the decolonization of my faith, I'm realizing how colonized the Bible has been, how whitewashed it's been, right? Like, yeah. it's meant to be read through Eastern eyes. Yeah. Like, it was written to Eastern people, to Jewish people. And yeah. I wish I had known that the Bible was never meant to be, you know, basic instructions before leaving Earth. Like, that's right. not, it's not a rule book. No, it's not a rule book. Like how, how so many of the things, you know, is just a story to teach us the heart of, of creator. It was never meant to be a science book. The Bible is split into, into the old and new Testament. What is a Testament? It's a Testament to God, to his goodness, to his love. It's not a rule book. It's the old Testament and the new Testament. Yes. It's so we can see the character and how different this God is from the gods that were being worshipped before, right? Yeah. Also, I think I wish I had known that I didn't need, I'd like I didn't have to allow someone to have authority over me just because they were a quote-unquote leader. You know, that it's actually really healthy for me to choose who has influence over my faith and my life. Um, and yeah. that it's my choice. That it's not pride being... Yeah. You know, having autonomy is not pride. Not that I need to have individuality, right? I'm trying sure. to also, that's something I'm trying to change and w- wish that I had known is that like, this is collective. Mm-hmm. Like this faith mm-hmm. journey is collective. It's not like all about me. <laughs> but that's great though. Autonomy is not prideful. Yeah. That's so That's so good for many people. Yeah. All right. So I have two more questions for you here. The first is, what would you say to anyone who has ever had their trust betrayed and their vulnerability taken advantage of in their spiritual communities? First, I would say you're not alone. Mm -hmm. That there are so many other people who have felt similar things, not never the same, but similar things to you. And kind of like what I just said, you're right. Like you, it's healthy for us to choose who has influence over us. Right. But I think also it has been my experience that when I seek healing, God creator is there for me and is so willing. And so like, I can picture them being really excited. Like you're ready to go deeper. Let's do it. Oh, you absolutely. Know, <laughs> He's that enamored and, by us. He loves it. Yes, when we do that. yes. And so I think just, if you, if you go after it, I feel like there's just this well of healing that God wants to create in us. And, and even I wrote down here, like that God wants to bring a reconciliation of who you were really, truly meant to be and how, you know, even though it's hard when you get to the other side of it and not even that I'm at the other side of it, I'm still in the mud, the mud and the mire, but, um, even being in the middle of it, I feel so much lighter. I feel so much more authentic to who I am and it's really beautiful. So I guess just keep going don't give up, right? Yeah. Like just keep, keep swimming. Don't give in to the fears of, um, the pain that you might feel right. Like oh, mm. the pain is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the things I'd want to say. And I would say that maybe, maybe talking about cynicism, the, the things that you're skeptical about, first off, you should be because those are gut instincts. If you're cynical about something, you're, yes. you're skeptical about something. It's be- and it's probably hurt you. It's because those things are probably not safe. 
But at right. the same time, those things that you're skeptical of or cynical of, I can I, mean, I can't guarantee it for you. But in my mm-hmm. experiences, those things have not been the purest essence of those things. If I'm skeptical of God, it's because I've been presented with a version of God that's not the truest version. Yes. I'm skeptical of church. It's because the churches I've been to are not are not completely following God's will the way he's meant he means it to be carried out. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. And even like if you're cynical of yourself, like to mm-hmm. stop and be curious. I think that's the main thing. Like stop yeah. and be curious. Like where is this coming from? You know, if you're having a, a negative thought about yourself, like who how where have I heard this before? And yeah. how can I how can I set myself up for future moments where I feel this? Like how can I be kind to myself? How can I speak God's truth into me instead of the untruths that I've been I've been indoctrinated into, right? I love that curiosity and judgment. Judgment is a roadblock. It's a dead end. But then a curiosity has three more routes that are possible outcomes to the road to continue. Yeah. Growth and seeking and whatever else. Um, Yeah. That's so great. Last question. The question I ask every single guest on the show, this podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which are the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. So my question to you is, what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn and get a new understanding of? Definitely that I am not the problem. Yep, that's a big I one. mean, I, there's, you know, of course, I can take responsibility for when I have flat out snipped, oh, sure. right? Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm not, I we, am we, not. We, can be, we can be a problem, yes, but we are not the problem. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. I am not the problem like if i see something if i feel like something's wrong then it probably Mm. is yeah and and that i do not need to minimize myself to lift up god yeah or lift up the men or it'll lift up you know whatever entity has been placed higher exactly yeah i think there i think something can be said about being able to humble ourselves especially before God, right? Humbling ourselves is, I believe, a noble thing, but we don't have to minimize or invalidate ourselves when doing that. Those are not synonymous things. Humility and finding humility in yourself and humbling yourself before something or someone you deem to be above you, I'm talking about more God here in a spiritual context, is, is, is one thing. And there's a lot of, I think, truth and nobility and power even to that. But yeah, it doesn't have to equal minimizing and invalidating ourselves and who we are. Yeah. And I think that the the crumpled paper of that I have any right to criticize someone else Hmm. or that anyone else has a right to criticize me, just that I can have this perspective change of we are communally together right or together we're working to be better we're working to see better in the world we're working to see better in ourselves and our families and really true change and growth comes from support and you know building up and love right Mm -hmm. not from always telling someone what they're doing is wrong or how i think they should be doing it 
quote unquote right. Yeah, and that really goes right back into that idea of curiosity over judgment. It's our intention and motive behind which of those two courses we take in any given context with any given person. And judgment is all about sticking it to somebody and making it known what they did wrong and oftentimes condemning them or shaming them for it. Um, And not many times missing the core essence or issue or nuance or context to what's actually going on. Whereas curiosity lends itself to trying to uncover that nuance, that context, that deeper meaning, and trying to see, intentionally trying to see a bigger picture that's not just one layered in an attempt to find that growth, to give that support, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I think that falls right in line with that. But yeah, that's, that's really, really good. Good stuff. So as, as we close up here, is there anything else, any other thoughts about cynicism as a whole in your own experience with cynicism? You know, especially in the context of now, rather freshly, having just left that church, that spiritual community that was your home for a large, large part of your life, most of your life. Any thoughts about how cynicism has played into that, uh, you leaving and since you've left? Well, I love this quote because I reread that chapter, right? And this quote that you had said that like cynicism is the killer of joy because it convinces us that joy is fake. And so I think that that's even what I've been fighting and, and journeying through is going, there were things in, in this walk that were good. There were things that, that came of it that I can look back on and, and not just go, that was all fake, right? Like yeah. I'm, my salvation is secure. <laughs> like I'm, yeah. you know, I feel like God loves me. And, and to be confident in that is actually pretty huge because I used to question it all the time and thought that every yeah. time I messed up, I wasn't really, you know, I, 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 at one point I thought I needed to get rebaptized. Like there was so much. Like you're always on the tightrope balancing the line. Yes. Yes. And yeah. so I think that that is remember, like to, to remember, even when it like that question about like, what are the positive aspects of growing up in church and how it took me so long to find a good one. So I don't want to look back and be like, Oh, you know, be c- cynical about, all my path because there are, you know, gosh, I met my husband. Like he's like my ride or die for life. Although, you know, maybe eight years ago I hated him and he probably hated me. I think because of all the criticism, right? Like we were set up to hate each other. Um, We were often criticized for not liking each other, not being friends. (laughs) When we got removed from that, we started becoming more better, better friends. And then it's, you know, since 2020, we've become best of friends. Like, yeah, it's just amazing to me that when we were enmeshed in that culture, we thought we couldn't survive without them. Like we were led to even believe that when we moved up here, we weren't going to stay faithful to God. We were led to believe that the only place our children would become Christians was in that ministry. Right. It's really freeing to see, oh, because we were told if we were left to our own devices, we would destroy each other. And yet here, you know. What a helpful nugget of information. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? Thank you for believing in us. Yeah, right. <laughs> Like, thank you for trying to control us. I mean, that was even something when we moved. We were, gosh, Austin, like we were so heavily criticized. I was criticized for who Eli was getting advice from. Man. Like, like I, like Eli was like, no uh, one had the balls, excuse my language. No one had the balls to come up to him and criticize him directly. No to your, one. To his wife. How damaging uh-huh. in, in for so many different reasons but yes i remember a specific specific conversation that i was criticized that he was talking to his dad which mm. hi his dad was like foot in our bill so he had a right yeah. to have a say in what we were doing in our lives right like sure. and he's a wise man who has gone through so much and we love him he had every right to say something but to be criticized that he didn't like yeah no 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 and i didn't see it then yeah and it's so crazy how so much stuff that happened I didn't see with clarity until the allegations of the sexual abuse came out. Yes. If you're a a newer listener, you may not know that our church organization back in earlier in the, in the new year in January, uh, several lawsuits came out um, dealing with sexual abuse allegations in different churches under our organizational umbrella. So that was a, a, a big deal, and it's an ongoing thing. If you want to hear more about that, I did an episode called My Church Was Accused of Sexual Abuse. Uh, I think it was the second episode posted on this podcast. So if you scroll all the way back down, uh, you'll see it. So listen to that for some more info on that. Hmm. It was like that was my light switch, Austin. Like, Because I've done so much work to heal from the abuse of my past. So much. Like, read... Yeah. How many books support? I already said that, right? Support groups, therapy, everything. And when I heard, and then the reaction to it, like, oh, that happened in the past. Like our church, we just had a Zoom prayer meeting to pray for the victims. That was it. And then crickets after, right? We did have the committee that I was a part of. We did have a meeting about it because I demanded it. (laughs) But the leader was like, you want to do what? Yeah. Like, you want to talk about that? Why do you want to talk about that? I'm like... It's, it's a culture of accountability, intense accountability, until they have to be accountable for something. Yes. Which says a lot. So much. And so when that happened, it just like, the scales came off my eyes, you know, to, yeah. to, to pick a little from Paul's story. They just dropped. And I was like, what am I a part of? Like, am I really okay with this? Am I okay with raising my children in this culture? Right. Like, I've got some strong, my youngest, Dahlia, is strong willed. (laughs) She, in her class, like her teacher is always saying, she always leads her fellow scholars to what's good. Like, she's Mm. just strong. She wants to be a leader. So, am I going to raise her in a culture where they think that if a woman leads, she's in sin? Right. Like, no, oh no, 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 no. Yeah. You want to nurture that, not uh yes. stifle it. Not stomp it down. Yeah, to stifle it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a huge awakening for me. A huge awakening. Cause because too, it was like, you know, the committee I was a part of was to change the policies for the kids' kingdom mm-hmm. classes. And so to just be met with like, you know, me and this other woman were trying to get it in the policy of like you know, whether you've been accused or not, if you have any kind of 
sexual misbehavior with children, right? And I'm even being nice in, in the way I'm saying right. that. If you've been accused of anything, then you shouldn't, sorry, this isn't the ministry for you to serve in, right? And then we're right. met with someone who's, you know, saying, oh, I'm just being a devil's advocate, but, you know, they could sue. <laughs> like, right. that's, you know, basically saying we need to protect the perpetrator instead of protecting right. these innocent children. And, and because he's being the devil, like, and, yeah. and in that situation, I didn't handle myself in a way I would now. And that was only a few months ago. Like, no. I totally bet myself, I was like, oh, I must be hearing you wrong because of all the things that's happened in my past. And, you know, like just, it's, it's still again, a you problem. Yes. It's still a me problem. Taking over responsibility for someone else's whacked culture. Yeah. And, and the fact that it's, it's thriving and well in this church. Yeah. Not for me. No, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. I, my kids don't need to be in this and I can't support it financially either. I can't, there's no way. Yeah. Cause not saying anything. I'm being complicit. My complicity is saying I agree and it's not true. So I could no longer be complicit. Yeah. That's great. All right. That's, that's all I got. Jen, thank you so much. I'm so glad you get to be on this episode. Thank you for joining me and talking today. Mm -hmm. It was my pleasure. And thank you again, Austin, for all you have given to this cause. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, guys, that is it for this episode. Again, if you have not yet left a rating or review on your preferred podcast platform, that would be so appreciated. It helps a lot and it helps people, um, more people join the conversation. So I hope you guys enjoyed. I will see you next week. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.